I want to draw a contrast between this centurion and the religious people. The chief priests, the elders, the scribes, the religious people who crucified Jesus, put him on the cross and mocked him and laughed at him saying, come down from the cross. And if you do that, then maybe we'll believe. Look, he saved others, but he cannot even save himself. So we have on one hand these people who claim to be the religious people of their day saying, prove it to us, and then we'll believe. Maybe come off the cross and we'll believe. In contrast with the centurion who believes and confesses Jesus as God's son, not in spite of the fact that he's on the cross, but because he is on the cross. So I want to talk today about the implications of that. I want to talk a little bit about the implications of what it means to worship a crucified God. Because I think the central question from this passage, from this whole crucifixion scene, is what is this telling us about who God is? What does it tell us about who we are? And how are we to be in relationship with this God, this crucified God. When I was a kid, I remember wandering through a department store, and I was having a grand old time running through the clothes and hiding in and among the um, you know, the ring, the little circular ones and all those kinds of good things. My, my boys love to do that now too. And um, I can't remember at which point I realized it, but at, at some point I realized that I was alone <laughs> and that my mom was nowhere to be found and that I was, in fact, lost. I had been left behind, so to speak. And I'm sure my mom had figured it out much sooner than I had and was freaking out and wondering where I was and all those kinds of things. All I remember, though, was this deep sense of abandonment, of feeling like I was totally alone and forgotten in this world. And I was never going to be able to survive in this department store. Well, eventually my mom found me and all those kinds of things. Um, obviously, I'm still here today. So I survived. I survived the department store. Um, but I, I think that moment is one of the moments where perhaps I got in touch with a little bit of the feelings that Jesus was feeling on the cross. 
Jesus cries out in this loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was taken up to Golgotha, called the place of the skull, outside the city of Jerusalem. As people would come in and leave the city to be reminded that you don't come up against the Roman Empire and win. Golgotha was actually a trash heap. Glorified trash heap. And that word there for forsaken in Greek also shares the same root as to throw away. Jesus is feeling like he is part of this trash heap. Like he has been thrown away and forgotten and left and is alone and abandoned. Jesus, the incarnation of God, the Word made flesh, as it says in John Word, John chapter 1, was brutally executed. And that execution tool has now become the main symbol for Christianity. It would be maybe like the equivalent of all of us wearing um, electric chairs around our necks <laughs> today. Why is that? Because it tells us something about God that is so very different than what perhaps we have ever heard before. See, Plato and Aristotle came up with this grand idea of what perhaps a god would have to be like. That god would have to meet certain criteria in order to be god, according to their philosophy. That god needed to be impassable, unable to change and unable to die. That God would need to be omnipotent, having all power. And that God would need to be omniscient, being all-knowing. And omnipresent, all these omnis. Omnipresent, being able to be everywhere at once. Well, the Christ event, and particularly the cross event flies in the face of all of that philosophy. On the cross, Jesus is most certainly passable. He is killed. On the cross, Jesus gives up all power. On the cross, you would think if Jesus knew what was going to happen, he would have somehow avoided it. On the cross, Jesus is stuck and is in one place at one time in a particular location, as a particular Jew, with a particular message. A crucified God represents to us a God that maybe we 
aren't as familiar with. See, I believe that we must have the cross in order to understand who God is. That without it, our abstract notions of God leave the ground. They become untied from reality. And perhaps God isn't so involved in the world. And maybe just God got the whole ball rolling at the beginning of creation and then just kind of backed off. But Jesus says, no, that's not what happened. And the fact that Jesus died on a cross says, no, that didn't happen. How is this even possible? My opinion is that for God to be God, God is the ultimate relational being. God is love. We confess that constantly. That, that's a common thing to say, is that God is love. Well, for God to be love means that God must be in relationship with us. For God to be in relationship with us, we have to have the ability to affect God as much as God can affect us. That perhaps we can change God's mind, that we can love God and give love to God as much as the other way around. Otherwise, if God is just kind of this being that only gives and never receives, we might as well be worshiping a brick wall. We might as well be worshiping this thing that's kind of off in space and really has no true involvement in our daily lives. But a crucified God tells us that God can be affected, that God can go even to death to experience all of humanity. That God can and does experience all that we experience. And because of that, God is able to know what it's like to be human and what it's like to be with us and because of that, we are able to have a relationship with God. I was talking in our Sunday school class this morning about how Mark sets up this scene. That 
the literary structure of Mark actually helps us understand what's going on here. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus is baptized, and a couple of things happen there. First of all, a baptism, as you and I know, represents dying to self and then being raised again to new life. We are made a new creation in Christ. Right? So, baptism is kind of a, uh, an enactment of death and new life. And in that story, a couple of things happen. First of all, Jesus is baptized and is enacting death and new life, that pattern. Second, it says the heavens are torn apart when Jesus is baptized and God speaks. And God says, this is my son, whom I love. When Jesus is killed on the cross, that same pattern reemerges. He is enacting that pattern of death. We'll get to the new life later. <laughs> the veil in the temple is torn apart. And a person confesses that this is God's Son. And in fact, in the whole Gospel of Mark, that is the first and only confession of Jesus as God's Son. From the lips of a centurion. From the lips of the representative of the empire. And so the whole of the Gospel of Mark is bracketed by these two stories. And the whole idea with the heavens being torn apart and the veil of the temple being torn apart is that God has given God's self to us. See, the veil in the temple kept the Holy of Holies separate from the people. Only the priest could enter the Holy of Holies, and that was believed to be where God truly resided. And when that was torn in two, God's presence was unleashed on the world, all in the cross event. In the same way that the heavens were torn apart and God was revealed to the world. A crucified God tells us that God seeks to be in relationship and to break down any barriers that may stand in God's way for that to happen. That God wants the whole world to be reconciled to God's self. And in between those two brackets, the life of, of Jesus' ministry exhibited exactly what that meant. That God was truly for all people. The least, the last, the oppressed, the marginalized, the forgotten, the abandoned, the shamed... 
all of that was displayed on the cross. So a crucified God means that that is a God who not only wants to be in relationship with you and I, but with all people and to stand in solidarity with all who experience suffering and pain and injustice and oppression. And we are called to do the same. Paul interprets this Christ event in Philippians. I talked a little bit about this last week, but I want to read this to you. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In Christ, God empties God's self. God pours out God's love to all of us that we might receive, that we might know that God is with us. Truly, as we said in the creed earlier this morning, we are not alone. God is with us through the valleys of the shadow of death. We can fear no evil because we know that Christ has been through that valley and we can walk every moment of every day in the knowledge that God is with us, that Christ's presence is real, that God is not far off, that God is truly here. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. And in the same way, we are called to live that cruciform life. Let the same mind be in you that is in Christ Jesus. As God emptied God's self and pours God's self into us, we pour out ourselves in love and grace and mercy and service to others, especially the least, the last, and the vulnerable. That is what it means to worship a crucified God. Amen. Amen.